Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start a series on the armor of God um, after the pancake breakfast, and this week we're going to start, uh, take an overall view of it. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, and we're going to focus on verses 10 through 13 this morning. Ephesians 6 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as they ought to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for the chance to gather together at the beginning of a week. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the Holy Spirit who opens your word up to us. Lord, thanks for the hope that we can have in the gospel. Lord, thanks for the hope that we can have in Jesus. Thanks for your goodness to us. Lord, this morning, as we start a new year, in many ways, as we're looking at our world, as we think this morning of the sanctity of life, Sunday, and just all the different situations, Lord, I pray that you would just give unbelievable wisdom to our leaders as they make choices, as they make decisions about life and death. Lord, I pray that we would continue to see abortion stopped, and I pray that you would just bless uh, these single moms and young women and churches and people all across the, the country, that they would raise up to help and to support them and encourage them, so that they would be a better alternative than to killing babies. And God, I pray the Holy Spirit, you just keep working in all these things, and thanks for how you have answered many prayers for 40-some years now. And there has been good movement. I pray that it would just continue. And Lord, I pray that as we stand against the evil one, that you would just give us grace and wisdom. And this morning, as we look at your word, that you would open our eyes, that you should remove every distraction from us, and that we would see and hear from you. And just give us your grace. And pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why would we look at Ephesians chapter 6? and the armor of God for a number of weeks. Just look, taking each one of those pieces of what it represents and, and, and looking at it. Well, 300 years ago, there was a guy named Thomas Brooks, and he wrote a book uh, called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And I have a copy of it. It's an excellent book. If, I was to, if you were to start reading it, you would think it was just written last week. But it's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in the introduction, he says this. He says, Christ, the Scripture, your own hearts, 
and Satan's devices are the four prime things that should be first and most studied and searched. If any cast off the studies of these, they cannot be safe here or happy hereafter. It is my work as a Christian, but much more as I am a watchman, to do my best to discover the fullness of Christ, the emptiness of the creature, and the snares of the great deceiver. Christ, the scriptures, your own hearts, and Satan's devices are the four things we as Christians need to concentrate on and and study. And here's why I want us to do it as a church for the next uh, number of weeks. First of all, is I don't want us to be surprised when Satan attacks or be surprised. The Bible talks about not being surprised. I was uh, doing a lot of driving the last few weeks since I was listening to a comedian who was talking about growing up and had a number of uh, brothers and sisters. There was 10 kids in his family. They all basically slept in the same room and at night they would all go to bed and then they'd start talking, start jumping from bunk to bunk and all of a sudden their dad would just show up in the room and announce, and they'd catch him in midair, you know, and just ruin it. And their dad was a surprise to them. He was like stealth. I don't want us to be that way as a church when it comes to Satan and to to the deceptions of the evil one. I don't want us to be surprised. I also don't want us to be stupid when it comes to Satan. There are people who look at Satan and the demonic, and, and they just get totally wrapped up into it. Came back last Monday pulled into my driveway about six o'clock, and it was just ice still everywhere. Um, and I got out, and the garbage was at the end of the road. I had some stuff to toss, and so I thought, I'm just going to run down there and run back. And that's what I did. I ran down there, and halfway back, I'm on my back. It was stupid. I saw the ice. I knew ice was, not dang- was dangerous. I still slipped and fell. I was stupid about it. I don't want us to be that way as a church when it comes to dealing with the, the evil one. And I also don't want us to be sabotaged as a church and as, as individuals when it comes to the evil one and Satan's devices. Satan is the great deceiver. Ephesians 6 doesn't give a great exclamation, doesn't explain him, it just says this is the reality. And he's filled with subtle lies. And the church at Ephesus and these Christians, they had no problems believing this. If you read Acts chapter 19, you will see they were very much into witchcraft and all these things. And they saw the power of God come in and, 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 and they had a massive burning of all their occultic stuff in Acts chapter 19. But then, he, then Paul comes to them, writes the letter of Ephesians, and he ends with this. But as he's talking about Ephesians, if you read Ephesians... Um, He talks a lot about the mind and about relationships and family and work and ministry and church and how it should be and how it should flow. And it seems so easy and good. And he reminds them of the evil one. Listen, all the subtle issues with your mind and how you think how you deal with your struggles and your relationships, either if you're married or if you're single, and your family issues and all the problems that arose in the last few months or weeks, all your work issues, all ministry church issues, all of those good things Satan wants to use and to bring in and cause them 
to be weapons for evil things and to subtly lie to you and cause friction and frustration. We know it. So we don't want to be sabotaged by those things. Nor do I want us to be suckered by the reality of Satan. In our day and age, Satan is a fad. It's cool now to believe in Satan. Actually, more people in a survey in 20, December of 2021 said more people in America believe Satan is real than they believe God is real. And they've been suckered. He's a, he's a fad. There's movies called Lucifer where he was apparently bored to death and he came and set up something to do in the, in the United States. I mean, and, and he just becomes faddish. Satan would like nothing more for us to treat him as some novelty item and get suckered into that or to, uh, to get overwhelmed by him as if he's in control of everything. What we are called to do is to not be surprised, to not be stupid, to not be sabotaged, and not to be suckered by the reality of Satan, but we are called to stand. That's what even Ephesians 6 says. It says, stand. For he doesn't want us to wobble. He wants us to stand four times. He says, stand. He says, withstand. He says, stand firm. And he says, stand. Stand is what we are called to do as we grow up into maturity as Christians. The context of Ephesians, if you have read Ephesians in a while, the context of Ephesians is Paul starts out in the first part writing to this church talking about the wonders of grace in Ephesians chapter 1. This overwhelming wonders of the benefits and the inheritance that we have by grace. And then he talks about walking in obedience, not just receiving grace, but then responding to it and walking into maturity. And then he wants us to be awake at the end to the reality of the struggle where all these things take place. And he does that by giving us this metaphor of the armor of God. And it's at the end, he says, Paul's in chains. So when he wrote Ephesians, he was chained up in prison. So his whole life was looking around. For most of the part, there was guards everywhere, probably soldiers everywhere. But I don't think that's the big emphasis. It's, it's an obvious emphasis. He's just looking at life. This is his life. He's chained up. He sees soldiers everywhere. He sees their uniforms. It's an easy metaphor. But there's more to Paul, and there's more to the metaphor than just he was sitting there bored one day and thought, oh, I can make an analogy of Roman soldiers. What he talks about is often tied more into the armor of God that God talks about in the Old Testament. Paul would have known this. He would have known the Old Testament. He would have studied the Old Testament. And these two things, the armor of God from the Old Testament and probably his own situation, helped him come up with this as he closed out this important book to the, to the church. Isaiah 11 5 says this, righteousness, talking about God, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And Isaiah 59, 17 says, he puts on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He, put on, he puts on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wraps himself in zeal as a cloak. And this is how Paul was writing to this church and talking to them about how to grow, how to become mature in their faith in Ephesians 4. And he ends it with this, this, this finally. He says, this is my key concern. Finally. It's not just this is the last thing I have to say, which it is, 
But it's finally, and for the remaining time, to this, to this people that he's writing to and to us, for the remaining time that you struggle on this earth, don't forget these things. This is, what it, this is the key concern that he has. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Why does he have that concern? As he's writing, well, why is that his concern? He has this concern because he does not want this church, and he doesn't want these Christians, when he's gone or when troubles come, he doesn't want them to lose their ability to grow into their maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurities. But that is not the way you've learned Christ. Paul's concern was, listen, I want you to now until the end be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. I want you to stand. I want you to become a mature church. I want you to become mature Christians. I don't want you to become calloused. There is one word that I think has affected churches and Christians in the last two years over what's gone on in our country with race, with pandemics, with problems, is calloused. We just we get calloused and cynical, and, and it, it, we, we just feel like it's nothing we can do about it. Paul doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be mature and growing in our maturity. So he doesn't want us to be calloused, and he doesn't want us to forget that we have a very corrupt adversary. There's a reason why the struggle is real. There's a reason why we can be calloused, because we have somebody who wants us to be very callous. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Someone said this, Satan is by nature and by choice a deceiver and a seducer who is hell-bent and devouring anyone who dares to fall in love with the Son of God. And in this room, I know that there are people who have dared to fall in love with the Son of God. And because you love Jesus, Satan is your enemy. He's your accuser. He's your attacker. And he wants to devour you. He's hell-bent on devouring you. So Paul has this key concern. This is his concern to this church. And he has this key clarity in it all. It can be really scary then. What are we supposed to do? I'm already struggling in my family relationships. I'm struggling with my friend relationships. I'm struggling in my church relationships. I don't have the desires that I used to do. I don't have the, the, the sense of passion I used to have. What am I supposed to do about this? I'm, I'm losing. Could be the feeling. Or we could have this key clarity that Christ on the cross defeated Satan. Satan has been defeated. It's like D-Day when they stormed the beaches of Normandy. For all intents and purposes, the war was over in World War II. 
But for another year, they kept moving their way through Europe, and they finally took it all down. D-Day, for all practical purposes, the war was done, but there was a fight to the final day. A year later, that's what it is for us as Christians. When you became a Christian, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, four things for sure happened to you. One, you were cleared of all guilt. You, you, there, there's no more no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you, you are guilty. You are, you are written house free. No matter what they say about you, it's all true what you did, but you are acquitted because of your sin as you became a Christian. You are then put in Christ and then you were put into a community of the church. And then you entered into conflict with Satan. That, that's the reality for all of us. If you knew that or if you didn't know that, that's what happens as we become a Christian. The peace which God has made through Christ's cross is to be experienced only in the midst, though, of a relentless struggle against evil. So as we look at this, we need to do and be three things. We need, can be confident, be confident in the Lord, be clear on your enemy, and be committed to Christ. When you read Ephesians chapter 6 or when you read all the New Testament or you read the Bible, just always remember it's not you, your Bible, the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, it's collective. The book of Ephesians was written to a church. So it's finally be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. It's, it's the church, you together. You, you're all part of what God's given us is the church. Jesus is a shepherd of a flock. And so when you read the Bible, when you read the yous in Ephesians, it's a collective you. It's not just you on yourself on, by, alone, which is extremely helpful for us. We, we need to know that we can lean on other people as we can do this. So we need to be confident in the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. It's be strong in the Lord, or be strengthened, really. It, it, it's, it's not our own strength. We are to be strong, be strengthened, or a better translation, or a good translation would be find your strength in the Lord. Find your strength in the Lord. This, this is, though, where we can have some confidence The Bible says in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You do not get to see your own maturity sometimes, do you? You, you, you can't see always yourself growing. This is why we need the collective church. This is why we need each other. This is, why we, 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 this is how we grow. We, we are growing we hear all these things about evil and Satan and his attacks on us, but we have this unbelievable confidence that we can have in the Lord. We can be strengthened in the Lord, find our strength in the Lord. It's collective. I see it in this church as I look around this room and as I've talked to people. I've seen where the Holy Spirit has worked in your lives 
and where you were at one point, where you are now, and over time, how the Holy Spirit's worked and he's drawn you, and the people have had ups and downs, and we could go around this room and hear story after story of here where I was three years ago, and I was really doing great, and man, I got hit, and then I was down for months and even a couple years, and then this is what the Holy Spirit did, and he brought me back, and, and it looks all chaotic at times. But the reality is this is how we grow. That's how maturity happens. And the, the fact is we are confident that it is happening in your life if you are a Christian. You can be sure that Jesus, who began a good work in you, is doing a good work in you and will bring it to completion. And this confidence, that reality... Even if you don't feel it, you need somebody else around you to say, I, I see it in you. I, I see it. We do this for our kids. I can't do this. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. They may feel that way, but you sometimes have moments where you say, you know what? You, <clears throat> you can do it. This is what Christian brother and sister love is. This is what the church is for. When you're down and you're just struggling, you don't think, I, I can't do this anymore. You have other people come around you and they say, I, you can do it. I see the Holy Spirit in you. He's working even if you can't see how he's working. We are to be confident in the Lord. He will help you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. I mean, this is clearly how God led others in the past. And Joshua Joshua didn't think he could follow Moses. God came to Moses and said, Joshua, fear not. Don't be dismayed. Be strong. And David, when he's going through all his problems in the Old Testament and his struggles, it says in 1 Samuel 36, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. It wasn't his own strength. It was the Lord's strength, but he was being strengthened. He was confident in the Lord's strength. It's a confidence that we have in him, Jesus was the same way. At his, he had the strength in his resurrection. It's the same strength. The Holy Spirit gives us that strength. We are to be confident in the Lord. We're not to fear or to fret, but we're called to stand and fight in the Lord's strength. And then we need to be clear in our enemy as we do that. How do we do that? How do we, do we clear in, in our response to the evil one? We need to be confident in, God, in God's confidence in us and through us. And we need to be clear on who our enemy actually is. The Bible says he has Clearly, put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, your primary problem is not people. Your primary problem isn't the people in your family, it's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your kids, it's not who you work with. Our primary problem is not people. The Bible says we, we have this enemy, we have who, who is cosmic powers in the heavenly places. 
Satan and the fallen demonic force who is out to destroy Christians and anything that Jesus Christ has called good. And here are the characteristics of what that looks like. The characteristics of this enemy that we have is that he is powerful. It says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I mean, this is, this is a, the picture of hand-to-hand combat, fierce and, and long. I mean, this is what Jesus did right after he, he, he announces his ministry. He goes out into the desert, and there's this, and he's fasting for 40 days, and Satan comes to him, and there's this hand-to-hand battle and, and, and fight, and, and Satan shows his power, and he takes him up on the top of the mountain, uh, t- top of the temple, and he says, just bow down to me, and you, and you can have all of this. Was that, was that a false offer? No, he is the prince of the power of the air. He, he's, he's trying to demonstrate his greatness to Jesus, and, and there was this, this battle, this intense, fierce battle, and Jesus responded, with scripture, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, these cosmic powers that are in the heavenly places. They're, they're powerful. They're more powerful than us. We, we see this. We forget it, but we, we see it. The little squabble with your kids, the little fight with your wife, it seems like nothing. And you think that's the problem. They're the problem. There's this cosmic battle going on to destroy you, your family. And sure, people do become problems at times. But that's not our main problem. But the characteristic of is, is it's powerful. They're wicked. It says it's their spiritual darkness in the heavenly places. It's an invisible reality. One translator put it, put it this way, they are spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil that have been sent out around the world to cause chaos. And their desire is to crush any influence of Christ in your life, your family's life, your neighborhood's life. They have no moral principles. They have no code of honor, no higher feelings, nothing naturally to restrict them. They're utterly unscrupulous, ruthless in their pursuit of their malicious designs. These are what it's talking about. These these cosmic powers of present darkness, spiritual forces of evils in the heavenlies. They're powerful, they're wicked, and they're constantly scheming. They're very cunning or or wily. The the, the word scheming is where we get the word methods. So he has these methods. Satan has these methods that he tries to mess up mess you up with. He's watched humans for a long, long time. He's watched you. Demons have watched you. Spiritual forces have watched you. And they know these methods. They know these trigger points, don't they? Where you say, wow, why why am I getting sucked into that? I always get sucked into that. Because that's Satan's plan for you. That's his method to trip you up. It might be different from somebody else, but he has all these methods, all these ways that can be tripping people up and trying to destroy people. Sam Storms, in a book on spiritual warfare, listed a number of the ways, these schemes that Satan uses to to, to try to trip us up, his methods. He, He works in opposition to the gospel. He is often, but not always, the source of sickness. He can inflict death as well as provoke the paralyzing fear of it. He plants sinful plans and purposes in the minds of people. 
On occasion, Satan will himself indwell a person. He sets a snare or trap for people to exploit them and intensify their own sinful desires. He, he tests or tries Christians. He attacks married and unmarried believers in sexual relationships. He exploits our sinful decisions, most likely by intensifying the course of action that we have already chosen. Years ago, some of you know, remember Paul Harvey? The just world-class radio guy, had the perfect voice. In the 1960s, 1964, he used to, came up with a script of, if I were the devil. And he, he would just re read it. First came out in 1964, and other updates, I think in 1996 was the last one that he read. But this is part of his, if I was the devil, transcript that he read in the 1964. If I were the devil... I can't do it like Paul, Paul Harvey. But if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that, there, that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would be, appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movers, movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine your intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild. Until before you know it, you'd have, a, you'd have to have drug-sniffing drug dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be, and thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. That was 1964. We can see the schemes of Satan. We can see his methods sometimes, and he has multiple of them. He, he, he is powerful, he's wicked, and he's cunning. And he wants to destroy you. But we do not have to fear, nor do we have to fret, but we can stand and fight in the Lord's Strength. Remember, it says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. So how then do we do this? It's by being committed to Christ. We have this attitude. It says in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand Firm. This is an attitude. It's an attitude to say, as a Christian, yes, this, this is the conflict that I've been called into. And I need to be aware. I need to be alert. I need to be in my 
that there's an activities and there's actions that I need to take. We need to be committed to Christ in our attitude and then into our activity. The Bible says that Jesus grew. As a, young, as a, as a child, he grew in, in stature and in favor with God and with man. There was this, there was this activity. He, he knew all that was coming to him, but he still grew. He still moved on to maturity, which is what Ephesians 4 calls us to. The book of Ephesians is calling us to grow into maturity. The way we grow into maturity is taking the steps necessary to fight the evil one, to stand against the evil one, to put on the whole armor of God, to recognize that we are in a battle. It's not with each other. It's with forces that are want to destroy all the good that Christ has done. So there's an attitude to it, to it. There's an activity to it. But most importantly, I think there's just an awe to it that we look to Jesus, look to Jesus who who took Satan on directly, went to the cross, died and rose again. And Jesus is the author and he's the finisher of our faith. You, you want to fight Satan by looking to Jesus. Looking at what Jesus has done in your life, looking at how he's changed you, and then stay in the fight. Listen, some of you may have been really busted or bruised or beat up in the last few months, last few years. And you still haven't quite figured out why or where it's coming from or if it's ever going to change. The answer to all of that is to look to Jesus. Look to the author and the finisher of your faith who took on Satan and won. We now have a defeated foe so that we can keep moving forward. We can keep standing. We can be confident in the Lord. We can be clear on our enemy and we can be committed to Jesus Christ. When I was thinking about this, the, what came up in my mind was the, the cheesy videos, the Christian videos of 1980s with Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen? He would produce these cheesy videos, but one of them was called The Champion. It was a big boxing scene, and he's almost knocked out, and he's going to get knocked down. He's fighting God and Satan, and it's just this whole thing, and he's almost knocked out. But then Jesus rose from the dead and conquered it all. And since I don't want to sing that song... I will end with another one. John Newton, who was about as sinful as you could possibly be in the 1700s, slave trader, raised in church, ran away from God, knew truth, but chose to deny it, but chose to become calloused in it. Then one day, he was woken up to the grace of the gospel, never got over it, wrote Amazing Grace, and many other hymns. And in one of them was these words about, called Approach the Mercy Seat. And if you're starting to go through 2022 and it starts to feel like a, reverse of this, a repeat of 2021 already, maybe you need again to recognize who your enemy is, recognize the fight you're in, and commit yourself to start again Keep looking to Jesus because this is the hope and the help that we have. Approach my soul, the mercy seat, where Jesus answers prayer and humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. Your promise is my only plea. To you alone I cry, 
for burdened souls, and you are free, and such, O Lord, am I. Bowed down beneath the weight of sin, by Satan sorely pressed, from outward foes and fears within, I come to you for rest. Lord, be my shield and hiding place that's sheltered near your side. I may my fierce accuser face and tell him you have died. Amazing love to bleed and die, to bear the cross and shame, that guilty sinners such as I might plead your gracious name. Satan will attack, but we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors, it says in Romans 8, because of Jesus Christ. Know your enemy, be committed to Christ, and keep looking to Jesus as we fight the battle.